Today on Blue 58, five games don't make a season, but now is as good a time as any to take stock of some trends and overall feelings about this team as the Packers head into their bye week. Who is actually helping this team win so far? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink, and I'm happy to be with you here for another episode. Here's what we're going to do today. We're going to talk about grades. And less grades is more just trying to answer one question. What is that question? The question is, is this position group or coach or maybe individual player helping the Packers win? Call it our first quarter grades. First quarter plus one. One of my frustrations with the NFL going to a 17-game schedule, in addition to the advanced wear and tear on players' bodies, is just, well, it doesn't divide easily anymore. You can't divide 17 easily into groups. One group is always going to be bigger than the other ones. And since I don't have to go out and get sat on by a 300-pound lineman every week, these are the extent of my frustrations really with the 17-game schedule. Anyway, five games in, Packers are heading into a bye. It seems like this is a good time to talk about where we are so far. So we're going to talk about the coaches. We're going to talk about the individual position groups. And then we're going to ask one question of each of those kind of groups of people Are they helping the Packers win? Let's start with the coaching. Let's start with the offensive coaching. That really means Matt LaFleur. I thought about going through and trying to pull individual numbers, try to bring out some stats, some unique stuff about each and every position group, each and every coaching group. I'm not sure that's the right way to go about it. I think the the longer I do this, the the more I think stats tend to be as much noise as signal in the NFL. There are some trends that I think you can pull out. There are some stats that matter more than others, but trying to isolate them gets pretty hard, especially when we're dealing with the relatively small sample size of the first five weeks of the season. So overall, we're just kind of going on vibes here. And overall, do you feel like the offensive coaching is helping the Packers win game? Look at the good and bad. I think there is some good stuff to the Packers offense right now. We talked about it after the... um, after the Packers' last game against the Raiders, they're finding some ways to get players involved in the backfield in different ways. They're using it to using different formations, pistol, shotgun, and different personnel alignments within that. They get some power runs out of traditional non-power looks, which I think is good with where the offense has been so far. Hasn't always worked. It hasn't been perfect, but at least they're getting to that in some non-traditional ways, as well as using those shotgun and pistol looks with some extra protection from tight ends and other backs in the backfield to get some deep shots. Deep shots haven't worked. I think the the overall idea here is pretty good. The bad is that, and this is not a specific thing to this season, but let me back up a little bit. What I got a question from a listener once in the course of this season so far that has really been hard to fit into a discussion. And it feels, it it kind of goes, gets to the heart of coaching philosophy in an an interesting way. And the question kind of went, if you had to boil down criticism of Matt LaFleur to one thing, how would you do that? And I think I would say, and it feels evident this season, that Matt LaFleur tends to coach the team that he wishes he had versus the team that he actually has. It's evident this season in a few different ways. Outside runs with a team that doesn't run outside all that much. 
stuff built for yards after the catch when it hasn't really been shown that any of the guys on the team are, are prodigious in that. Basically running an offense that doesn't seem super well suited to, to Jordan Love, which is, you know, it's difficult early in his career. You don't really know what an offense suited to Jordan Love is, but it seems like when you try to really put him in a box, it doesn't work all that well because he seems in a lot of ways like Aaron Rodgers before him, more like a kind of a vibes QB. He's got to go back there and feel it out and rely on his arm and his legs to move the ball down the field, make plays that way. And we've seen when the offense loosens up a little bit, that tends to be when Jordan Love seems to play the best. Instead, you've got what seems like a pretty highly regimented offense that they want to do really, really specific things. And when those things don't work, well, we're all out of ideas pretty quickly into the game. And we saw, I think, that against the Raiders a lot, running a lot of the screens, a lot of just the quick short passing game that just was not working. They were trying to get the ball to Luke Musgrave in the short area of the field and, and let him run with it or just I guess serve as a check down where he could do with something. It just wasn't working, and they were terrified of Max Crosby on top of that. It seems like there are a lot of things that LaFleur could be doing that would put Jordan Love in a better position to win games, to play well. And as I said, I, th- I think this dates back a while. If we rewind the tape all the way back to 2021, Jordan Love's actual first start on the road in Kansas City Boy, Jordan Love was out there getting killed, in part because the Chiefs just said, fresh meat, let's go after him. A smart thing to do when you got a, a guy making his first start as a, a young quarterback in a pretty hostile environment at Arrowhead Stadium. But Matt LaFleur is out there running the what seemed like the Aaron Rodgers version of the offense and having, having Jordan Love just try to do the Aaron Rodgers stuff. And it didn't work. And the Packers really didn't come alive at all until late in the game when they just had to just let Jordan Love basically take control of the offense, move fast, spread the spread the field out, and, and let him make reads and go from there. So it, it it's not a new thing for LaFleur to struggle with this. And, you know, to look back on that 2021 game in LaFleur's defense, it was fairly early or fairly late in the week when they found out that. Aaron Rodgers wasn't going to play. They weren't sure what they were going to get from Devontae Adams. There were other mitigating factors there. But still, I think we do see a little bit of trying to coach a team that does not necessarily align up with your actual team. So to answer the question, to ask the question, is Matt LaFleur helping this team win? Kind of lean toward no right now. On defense... I think it boils down to identity. What would you say the Joe Barry defensive scheme is? You know, I think in year three of Mike Pettin, we could pretty clearly articulate what he was trying to do. There was a pretty specific set of things that he wanted to do, and he did them, and even adapted over time. As time went on in Green Bay, he changed some of his approach, really beefed up the Packers' defensive front, leaned on, you know, bigger bodies to stop the run a little bit more and articulated that pretty clearly in his conversations with the media, talked about his approach at some length. I don't feel like we've ever really gotten that um, from Joe Barry. In fact, that was one of the things that we talked about in his introductory press conference where the Packers beat was asking, you know, pretty specific scheme-related questions, and he was just like, I don't really want to bore you with the details, stuff like that. We're going to be multiple. We're going to do, you know, 
we're going to play defense. We're going to get out there and we're going to tackle, you know, do all the defense sort of things. That sort of approach seems to have carried through now into year three. The Packers don't really seem to have a defense as much as they just try to call a collection of plays. Justice Mosqueda actually did a pretty good piece on that. Uh, not just pretty good, a really good piece on that today, Tuesday, uh, October 10th, on the Packers' um, questionable third down call that resulted in what looked like Preston Smith covering Devontae Adams on a, on a key third down in the second half. As Justice kind of explains, that's really not what happened there. Just uh, uh, Preston is supposed to have the flat as a zone in zone coverage. And because of how the Packers run their defense, being a 3-4 base, you're going to have outside linebackers dropping into coverage. It just so happened that the Raiders ran a cover or ran a play that put Preston right across from Devontae Adams, which looks really bad. But in reality, it was Isaiah McDuffie that's supposed to be over there covering uh, Devontae Adams' zone. The bottom line of the piece, though, is that Joe Barry called a really bad play for that down and distance, specifically when you're going to see Devontae Adams in a slot, in the slot a lot. What did we see from Devontae Adams a lot over his final two years with the Packers, 2020 and 2021? You get into third and like medium third and four to six, Devontae Adams is going to line up in the slot, try to get a favorable matchup where he has a two-way go, either against a slot corner or a safety or God forbid, a linebacker. Man, wonder when that could have happened. And he's just going to obliterate that linebacker. Aaron Rodgers will find him. The Packers will convert, and then we'll be in business from there. Well, that's what happened again. Josh McDaniels may not be the greatest coach in the world, but at least he knows that. He knows that Devontae Adams can get open in that situation, and I'll be darned he did. Barry did not anticipate that because Barry does not seem to have a cohesive scheme approach to his defense, and that seems to be the case just about everywhere he goes. He just runs some plays that he has seen other people implement that have worked, and that does not make a defense, really. So is Joe Barry in the Packers' defense really helping the Packers win? As many good things as they did against the Raiders and at times throughout the season, I think the general question here is no, or general answer here is no. On special teams, overall would say not super special, but the gut feeling is they got at least two decisions right this year. They seem to have made the right call at both kicker and punter. Anders Carlson had a rough training camp. He has been perfect in the regular season. Uh, Daniel Whelan was, I would say, a dark horse candidate to make the roster at the very best a couple months ago. Now he's kicking solidly. They did give up a punt return touchdown. It, that is not a good look for the Packers special teams. That has given up far too many touchdowns over the past few years. But overall, are the special teams... Coached by Rich Bisaccia, helping the Packers win? Give it a solid maybe, leaning toward yes. Now diving into individual position groups, let's start on offense. And let's get through these fairly quickly. There's a lot of, obviously, position groups to talk about. Some will be more important to how the Packers are playing than others. At quarterback, you've got Jordan Love. Sean Clifford has not played much at all, so he's really not part of the picture here. It all centers on Jordan Love. Things have trended, I'd say, I think we can fairly say, no matter where you land on Jordan Love, things have trended downward over the course of this season. I don't think we need to make big sweeping pronouncements about Jordan Love right now. I think we are starting to see some emerging trends. Let's put it that way. Five games in, I think we can safely say we're at emerging trends territory for Jordan Love. Not all of them good, not all of them bad. The good, I think there is some. 
he does really well keeping his composure in difficult situations. Jordan Love is never too high and never too low. Things are always, seems like pretty much emotionally about the same for Jordan Love, which is a pretty admirable trait for somebody who's in a difficult position a lot of the time. There are a lot of different difficult aspects to Jordan Love's job right now. Um, I think you, you can criticize some of the things that he's done, but it's also fair to say that he's in a pretty tough spot. Not only is he succeeding Aaron Rodgers, he has to pay off the hope and expectations of three years of waiting to see what Jordan Love can actually do. And then they're all just the normal pressures that come with being a starting quarterback in the National Football League. That's not a difficult thing to put up with, but he seems to have handled that part of the job pretty well. He also seems to be pretty solid at the off-schedule stuff. Some of the ad-libbing has been problematic at times. Uh, the the game-ending interception to Christian Watson is him trying to make a play out of the pocket, left the ball a little bit short. Christian Watson probably should have helped him out a little bit there more. But it, generally speaking, it seems like he can make some plays when there are plays there to be made. I'm also a fan of the way that he uses his legs. He doesn't seem to look to run, but he gets gets the yards when they're available, and he's a good enough athlete that those yards can come in bunches. He had his third 20-plus yard run of the season against the Raiders. 26 yards is nothing to sneeze at. The bad with Love, I think, is in that emerging territory, emerging trend territory too. He struggles to hit both the layups, some of the short stuff, and the deep shots. Brad Spielberger of Pro Football Focus tweeted out after the game that he's literally the least effective deep shot quarterback in the league right now. Not all of that is his fault, but Pro Football Focus also does some stats where they adjust for things like receiver drops and receiver misplays and things like that. And even when you do that, Love is in like the 30s or high 20s for that. It hasn't been good. And those are the things I, I think there's there's reason to be really concerned about the accuracy stuff. Because while you can't do things like practice game situations as a backup or how you're going to react when you've got to audible a certain way or this, that, and the other thing that actually comes with being in the game, what you can practice is things like accuracy and fundamentals and footwork and stuff like that. And to see Love struggling with stuff like that, that was a knock on him coming out of college, is a big concern. That is a problem. So is he helping the team win? I need you to listen to the tone on this here. Is Jordan Love helping the team win right now? No, I guess I really have a hard time with this. I have a hard time pinning everything on him. It does seem fair to criticize him for some things. It seems overall the broad strokes would be that maybe Jordan Love does hold the offense back as much as he helps it forward at times. I would conclude by saying it's not unexpected, but it's not exactly a thrilling development either, especially after the highs of week one some highs that are muted somewhat after having them take place against the uh, the Chicago Bears, who seem to have a, a knack for helping teams get right this season. Running back, the good. Well, the good is Aaron Jones in week one, and that's pretty much the size of it. The bad, well, everything that has happened since then, and a lot of that centers on A.J. Dillon. I don't think we need to belabor this point. Aaron Jones was very good, but he's been hurt. A.J. Dillon has not been great, but there are some things that are outside of his control. Are the running backs helping the Packers win? No, seems to be the answer. At wide receiver, some stuff to be positive about here. 
Romeo Dobbs looks improved. Jaden Reed seems to be about the best version of rookie Jaden Reed that we could reasonably expect right now. Makes some plays some weeks, struggles other weeks. That's the life of a rookie receiver in the NFL. And Dontavion Wicks looks like a pretty solid number four receiver. The bad, I'd say you could say this unit is less than the sum of its parts. There are some good individual talents here. It doesn't seem like we figured out how all these things fit together. And then you've got Christian Watson's health, which is very much now, I think, a long-term issue. He's, if you read his his medical reports, has had hamstring problems dating back to 2019 at least. We are now in year two of lingering injury territory for Christian Watson. And he is, let me check my notes here, in year two of his NFL career. That is a problem. We are, we're two years in. We've got two years of, well, I wonder when Christian Watson is finally going to be healthy. It's a big deal for, I think, reasons we don't really have to explain. So are the Packers receivers helping the Packers win right now? Generally, yes, I think. You can make the argument in a vacuum that it seems like the Packers receivers are helping the team overall. But also, they this is not a refined group yet. This may not even be an NFL receiving core because there are some questions that we have, some significant questions even as with as well as they're playing about. Pretty much everybody in the top four or maybe five or maybe six slots on the depth chart. That's not a great place to be. That's not something that's really helping your young quarterback figure out who he is as a player. That's really not helping your offense build an overall identity. They do make plays. They don't happen super regularly, but they're also not improving, it seems, week after week. So maybe we'll reverse that. Maybe it's generally no, they're not helping the Packers win. At tight end, this is a more clear answer. The good is is obvious. You can see what the Packers see with Luke Musgrave at his best. It also kind of feels like they have no idea what to do with him at the moment. That's a different problem, though. Ben Sims has been a, a pretty nice pickup. Josiah DeGuara seems to finally have a role, albeit a much smaller one than the Packers originally envisioned. And then Tucker Craft, well, he's there. The bad stuff, the blocking has not been great, but we kind of knew about that. And then the yards after the catch stuff, uh, Luke Musgrave looks like a latter-day version of Richard Rodgers at this point. You get him the ball on the flat, and he is just going to basically stay there. I don't know what it is. It may have just been the Raiders, but you get him the ball underneath, and there just isn't a lot there for Kraft, especially not this past week. Or not not Kraft, Musgrave. There hasn't just been much of Tucker Craft in general. All that to say, I think it's pretty clear that the Packers' tight ends are not in a position where overall they are helping the team win right now. Offensive line. Elton Jenkins is healthy. Zach Tom is making strides. He is their starting right tackle until somebody proves otherwise. And Rasheed Walker plays really well in spurts. I think there are times when he looks very much like a a seventh round pick into what game four really of his NFL career now. Yeah, there's going to be some warts there. And he was a seventh round pick because he was not a very polished prospect. That polishing process takes some time. I said after the game that maybe I'd seen enough of Rashid Walker. I kind of reconsidered that. Uh, said after the, the Raiders game that maybe I've seen enough of Walker. I think maybe the overall pass protection is is pretty good, uh, but run de- run blocking has been a little bit of a struggle for him, which is kind of weird considering his size, but shoot, um, 
can't be perfect at everything. And if if you were going to have him be good at one thing, I think you still want him to be the better pass blocker than the run blocker. The bad is that we're still dealing with David Bakhtiari. We've talked that to death. Josh Myers continues to be up and down. We've seen too much of Royce Newman so far this year. And here's kind of a sneaky one. Royce Newman, or not Royce Newman, John Runyon is having a pretty serious regression this year. He's never been like the Packers' best offensive lineman. He's been more like the, uh, this is going to sound mean, but kind of the anti-Bakhtiari. Well, Bakhtiari's availability has been a, a question mark over the past couple of years. John Runyon is just kind of always there. Unfortunately, he's currently the Packers' worst graded offensive starter by Pro Football Focus. And really, of everybody they've got graded grades on, well, it's not great. They've got 25 players who they've graded for the Packers' offense so far this year. Would you care to guess where John Runyon ranks among those 25? 21st. And the four players below him are Malik Heath, an undrafted free agent who's played like 50 snaps on offense, Royce Newman, who we kind of expect to be there, Tucker Craft, a third-round pick who's played 61 snaps so far, and Sean Clifford, who has played a grand total of five snaps so far this season. Running is not edging out a lot of high-level competition there, and if it weren't for problems elsewhere on the offense, he would be like a headline issue, I think, for where the Packers are. Flipping over the defense, let's start with the defensive line. Pretty simple evaluation here. The Packers' defensive line has done pretty well, I think, overall rushing the passer. They've also done pretty poorly in the run defense, and that starts to show up in other areas of the Packers' defense, too. We talked about Quay Walker a little bit, you know, making tackles downfield and how that sometimes can reflect poorly on him. Well, part of the reason that a guy like Quay Walker has to make tackles downfield is because, well, the running backs have really a chance to get pretty far downfield before he even has a chance to interact with them at all because, well, the defensive line is getting walked back two yards on a lot of run plays. It's It's been a struggle for the first five games of the season, and it is just evident that the Packers need some help on the defensive line. They just don't have enough quality big bodies up front. Kenny Clark can't play every single snap, and even his run defense has not necessarily been great this year. Are the, they helping the Packers win, though? That's an interesting question, because I feel like the way this defensive line is constructed, they could be awesome if the Packers played some games from ahead. But as constructed, I don't know if they're capable of really helping the Packers win the kinds of games that the Packers are seem to be playing this year. A lot of close games where the opposing offense is in a lot of neutral situations. They don't necessarily have to pass. They've got all their run plays available to them. If you can just line up and run your offense against the Packers' defensive line, the Packers' defensive line might be in trouble. And this is kind of the rub with building a modern defense is you'd like to play a certain way. You'd like to build your defense to defend against the pass because teams are going to pass more often than not. And you've got to be built a certain way to really be equipped, even before you get to scheme, to defend against the pass. So the Packers have kind of leaned into that. They want their smaller defensive linemen. They want their their penetrators, the guys who are going to get after the quarterback. And yet they are paying for it against the run. Devontae Wyatt has struggled in that aspect. Colby Wooden is probably just too small to play defensive line. He just gets pushed around a lot because he's small. Well, maybe not small, but light. That's a problem. So you can you can see the rub there, though. The Packers would love to be able to play a certain way. They don't have the personnel to play that way right now. Or 
They're not capable of playing games that way and backing it up with their personnel either, which seems to be a little bit of a recurring issue that we've talked about in this podcast. On the edge, you've got some real good stuff and some some not-so-good stuff. Rashawn Gary's been great, obviously, this year. Preston Smith is still stout against the run. It was nice to see him get a sack. If you look at our pressure numbers at thepowersweep.com, it's been a bit of a slog for him against the, the pass this year. He just doesn't seem to have the same juice he once did. Does not get pressures at the same rate that he once did, but he's an aging player. You still need him out there because he's, you know, assignment sure and he's going to be high effort against the run. And he'll even try to cover Devontae Adams if you ask him to, even if that is something that he is fundamentally not well equipped to do. And to be fair, there are very few people on the planet who are well equipped to do that, but Preston Smith certainly is not among them. The bad stuff, you've got, I think, a little bit of a regression from Kingsley Inigbari. Played well last year. Played well in a difficult situation, getting a lot more snaps than I think the Packers anticipated after Rashawn Gary's injury. He hasn't quite been there so far this season, but it's still pretty early. Justin Hollins was bad before he got cut, was not getting after the passer at all, and he's he's always been a bit of a liability against the run, another size-related thing there. And then you've got Lucas Van Ness, an injury basically wiping out his first month, for his first five weeks here in the NFL um, rough way to start your NFL career with an injury like that that just kind of lingers and prevents you from ever getting into a rhythm, but them's the break sometimes. Are the edge rushers helping the Packers win? I would say overall, yes, even with the warts. As good, I mean, Rashawn Gary's been that good so far this season that even if the rest of the unit is pretty disappointing, he's still making up a lot for it, and he is going to be a very wealthy man here in the very near future, and good for him. Off-ball linebackers. Kind of comes down to Quay Walker because Devondre Campbell has been injured for most of the season, which is a complicating factor here that we'll talk about in a second. But I think the good and the bad comes down to Quay Walker being either good Quay Walker or bad Quay Walker. Still inconsistent, I think, in his second season. There are some things that he does really well. And I think I articulated some criticism of him poorly after the the Lions game, and I want to get into that in the next episode later this week. We'll talk a little bit more about Quay Walker and where he fits into the Packers' defense, the things he does well and the things he does not so well at some extended length. I've been doing a lot of research on that, and I'm excited to, to share some of that with you. But the good Quay, you see him run and chase. You see him... A, a guy I coached football with a while back had a, a great line for how he wanted our young players to play. He said he wanted, when you were playing on defense, he wanted you, no matter what you were doing, to come fast and with bad intentions. That's a good way of describing what you need a defender to do. And Quay Walker, at his best, kind of embodies that. How many times in just, what now, 22 games in his career have we seen him, you know, a pass goes out into the flat and suddenly Quay Walker, all 240-some pounds of him, comes blazing downhill and lands like a ton of bricks. That's good stuff. <laughs> That's fun football to watch. But you also see some bad Quay Walker pop up from time to time. Not always a consistent tackler. Bit of a guesser against the run sometimes, and guesses wrong frequently. As good as he is in coverage, he seems to be as much a liability against the run. That puts him in pretty good company in the Packers' defense right now. Pretty good against the pass sometimes. Not so great against the run pretty frequently. That's that's how things go sometimes. A complicating factor, as I said, is Devondre Campbell being hurt. Because I think it's hard to see what 
role Quay Walker really plays in this defense without Devondre Campbell out there. Campbell is still paid like the lead dog in this linebacker room, but I don't think he really is anymore. I think this is Quay Walker's show. Still, Campbell's an important part of the defense, and if you don't know what he's doing out there because he's hurt, you can't really know what Quay Walker is supposed to be doing either, and I don't think Quay Walker can really play to the fullest of his abilities because he doesn't have the guy that he was specifically drafted to complement out there. So are the linebackers helping the Packers win? I would say, I guess. They're doing their best. Even after Walker went down against the Raiders, it didn't it didn't really look like the linebackers were a huge liability. I mean, Josh Jacobs didn't have an outstanding game. There's a lot of cleanup stuff going on both on the defensive line and linebackers with him. You did have the the miss, you know, the the poor call that put Isaiah McDuffie in a key position of responsibility as far as shutting down Devontae Adams, but we've talked about that already. I think pretty neutral to lean slightly positive on the Packers linebackers. Could it be better? Sure. Could a lot of things be better in Green Bay? Also, sure. At cornerback, I think it simply comes down to people here. The good, I would say, has been Rasul Douglas. The bad, I I put Jair Alexander in that lean bad camp so far. Got absolutely worked by Drake London. Bad matchup for him, to be sure, but it still happened. You get paid like one of the top cornerbacks in the league, it probably shouldn't. Keyshawn Nixon, I think, has been a disappointment here in year two in the Packers' defense. You see why he was kind of a part-time player before he came to Green Bay, and the Packers just kind of needed him to be that slot guy at this point. And, well, his aggressiveness sometimes sometimes hurts the Packers. Unfortunately, or maybe fortunately for Keyshawn Nixon, the alternatives aren't much better. And I think maybe after Eric Stokes come back, comes back, we might have a real conversation about Rasul Douglas playing in the slot again. Are the Packers' corners helping the Packers win? I might pass on this version of this question because I don't really know if I can answer that with any degree of confidence. I think there are a lot of factors working together here. It's it's a tough one. Um, but I think I would kind of group them with the Packers' safeties, kind of spoiling what I'm about to say about the safeties, in that they are not the biggest problem with the Packers' defense right now. The Packers' problems seem to work basically front to back. The biggest problems with are, are up front. The Packers can't get themselves into favorable down and distance for their pass rushers because they can't consistently stop the run. And that is kind of where it all breaks down for the Packers. So let's talk about those safeties. I think pretty firmly in the good camp is that the Packers are getting the best version of Darnell Savage and Rudy Ford so far this year. That seemed to be their preferred safety combo from the word go. That seemed to be where they wanted to go with this position battle. And that's where the Packers ultimately landed and or talked themselves into. But Darnell Savage in the role he's in this year is playing better than he has in a couple of years. Rudy Ford, like we said after the Raiders game, is going to give you absolutely everything that he's got each and every week for whatever that's worth. And what we've gotten from those two together so far is probably the best version of those two together that we can get. The bad part is, and this is not their fault, but that's just not enough. As solidly as they have played, as much as they have played to the best of their abilities, as much as they've moved into roles that seem to suit their abilities more, a safety combination of Darnell Savage and Rudy Ford just is probably not good enough for an NFL defense. And that is the frustrating reality of football sometimes in in that you can have guys 
you can't fix everything, I guess is the point. You can't get new players at every position where you need new players, so you make do with what you got. And what the Packers had was Darnell Savage and Rudy Ford. They've gotten about as much out of those two this year as you can. And it's just, it's not what you would prefer to have. So even if they're playing well for Darnell Savage, for Rudy Ford, they're not playing at a level that ultimately is is going to elevate the Packers' defense. So are they helping the Packers win? Well, maybe not, but they're also not the biggest problem with the defense right now. Let's finish it out by talking about the two special teams youngsters. You've got Anders Carlson and Daniel Whelan. Carlson is perfect so far this year. 17 of 17 on kicks. Hard to do better than that. Daniel Whelan, 47 and a half yards per punt. Pretty solid work. Are they helping the Packers win? Well, Anders Carlson is, and Daniel Whelan is doing his very best too. So no complaints about the two special teamers. I do not have any takes at all about the Packers long snapper there. I think we've covered just about every position there is. I think looking over this list of positions, you can see where the problem really is. There aren't enough positions that are putting the Packers in a position where their chances of winning are better because of the performance of that position group. You're not getting enough out of your running backs, for whatever that's worth, in this running backs don't matter era. You're not getting enough of a complete picture from your receivers, your young tight ends or young tight ends. Your offensive line isn't pass blocking enough. Your defensive line is built to do one thing. The Packers need them to do something else. Your linebackers, such as they are, have their job complicated by what the defensive line is doing. The edge rushers are Rashawn Gary, you know, going through his weekly labors of Hercules uh, and everybody else kind of trailing in his wake. They've been good enough just with Rashawn Gary to be plus, a plus position group. But beyond that, it just kind of falls off a little bit. Individual performances haven't been good enough in the secondary, but the secondary overall doesn't seem like it's the biggest problem. That's the Packers in 2023. They're just not quite where they need to be yet. And the big question, and people are staking out claims on this left and right now, is whether or not they're ever going to get there. So I think we can see some emerging trends with some of these these groups, some of these players individually. I'm not going to say whether or not they're going to turn into something or not turn into something right now. Five games is just too small a sample size. But if you are concerned about some things, or even if you're positive about some other things, I think you're starting to get some evidence both ways. We just got to see how it all shakes out. So I've got for you in this episode of Blue 58. I appreciate you tuning in. I would appreciate it even more if you would take a second and share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it. It's going to help more people find the show and get more people involved in this conversation that you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.